stars are brightly shining it is the night of our dear Savior's birth long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul fell a thrill of hope the weary world rejoices for yonder breaks the new and glorious morn fall on your knees oh he Amen. Amen. Good to see everybody that's here this morning. Just wanted to give you a little taste of Tuesday night uh, with Chosen Road who will be here. You're going to receive a wonderful blessing uh, from that. Uh, let me just sing, welcome those who are here with us online, whether you're there on Facebook, on YouTube, on Twitter. Be sure to heart, to like, to share uh, all of those things so that it just helps to get the word out uh, even more. So just a last-minute invitation uh, to get people to join us for worship. And then want to say welcome to those who are joining with us on our phone live streaming. Uh, thank you for being there also. If any of you need that number to share with anybody, uh, please see me after the worship service, and we'll be glad to give that to you. If you're at home, uh, we want to encourage you to go to our church website website at highlandbaptistchurch.com. Uh, just a couple of tabs over is the info tab. Under that, you can download today's worship bulletin, so I encourage you to do that. There's still a lot of upcoming things for uh, the month here, the rest of the month of December, so I want to encourage you to get that. If you're in person, uh, those are in the windowsills to my right and left. They're at the entrances uh, as you come in this door, 
upstairs or back here in the hallway. So be sure to get that uh, so you can keep up with everything that's going on. And then we also have our children's worship bulletins uh, that are there under that info tab, also there in the windowsill to my right here. Uh, if you need those, one is for ages seven and up, one's for ages three and up, and they go along with this morning's uh, sermon. And then while you're there under the info tab, be sure to get our prayer list downloaded. I want to encourage you to be praying for all those people uh, that are there on the prayer list uh, as you go through the Christmas holidays. So uh, many people, some are still sick, some are in the hospital, some in the nursing homes. We want to uplift them all uh, in our prayers, uh, especially through the holiday times here. So uh, thank you so much for being here this morning. Looking forward to a wonderful worship service this morning. Brother Mike, if you'll come and lead us. Good morning, all. Let's stand this morning and sing our first hymn. Let's sing Away in the Manger 103 in your hymn book, or the words will be on the screen. Join the choir as we sing Amen. As we come to our missionary moment time, you'll find our missionaries in your bulletin there. Uh, so I encourage you to take the opportunity to read the whole story there. Uh, they are part of our week of prayer for international missions also for our Lottie Moon Christmas offering. But this is Patrick and Ann Stein. Uh, this not their real names. You'll see the little asterisks there beside their name. Uh, for security purposes, uh, they don't allow us to... to publicly share uh, their name, but we do know the needs that are there. There are many medical needs uh, in, in many North Af African towns, uh, and most people, when they hear about uh, a free medical clinic that's popping up, uh, that many times is led by Patrick and Ann Stein, uh, word begins to spread. Uh, the medical professionals who come and help, some of those come from the U.S., uh, some of those are in-country there that help. Uh, but they are all sharing the gospel and, and medical missions there, as well as uh, the Steins. Uh, they are training others uh, to share gospel stories uh, with others, sharing those, those uh, gospel sharing strategies alongside the medical clinic. And so we want to uplift the Steins in our prayers, uh, as well as all of our missionaries around the world and across our nation today. So let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the wonderful blessing of being in your presence. Heavenly Father, we know that when we're in your presence, you are a holy and a righteous God. And Lord, we are unholy. We have sinned many times in our lives, even as believers. Uh, maybe it's an ungodly thought. Maybe it's an action that we've uh, committed that you've expressly told us we shouldn't have done. Or, or maybe it's something that you've told us we should be doing. 
that we have not done, and we've been disobedient in that. And so, Father, we come before you first and foremost confessing our sin uh, and asking you, Lord, to forgive us, to cleanse us of all of our unrighteousness, wash us with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, set us on the path of righteousness for your name's sake, and lead us and guide us in every decision that we make in our lives that we might bring glory and honor to your precious name. Thank you, Lord, uh, for just the opportunity to be gathered together to worship this morning and especially to hear about our missionaries who are serving all around this world and across our nation and even our state. Father, we pray for especially Patrick and Ann Stein. Uh, you know their real names. You know their situation there, ministering to people in North Africa. Uh, Father, we just pray that you will open up opportunities through the medical ministries there as they train others to share the gospel. Also, send more health care workers to help them uh, in the ministry there to share the gospel and to meet the needs uh, of the people. We just pray, God, your blessing blessings upon them and upon all of our missionaries as they are gathering to worship today all around this world. And we pray especially, Lord, for our Lottie Moon Christmas offering, asking, Lord, that you would impress upon our hearts to keep praying, even outside of the week of prayer that we've had already, but to keep praying for these missionaries, and then also to be praying about what you would have us to give to support those missionaries on the field. So bless us this morning, Lord. Bless us each and every day that we might be a blessing to others. So thank you for uh, being here with us. We pray that your spirit will move in our hearts, that if there's even one who's here who's lost or maybe watching online, that they would come to faith in Christ and that others, Lord, that you're stirring in their hearts for other decisions. Lord, we pray that you will be glorified and honored through their decisions too. We give everything to you and ask for your will to be done. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen. Let me just remind you, especially if you're at home there, you go to our church website at HighlandBaptistChurch.com. Go to the far right-hand side there. Uh, you can do your online giving, do your regular giving. You can do that even in person if you want. Uh, there are offering envelopes in front of you in the pews if you want to give an offering this morning. The offering plates are on the sides of the stage and at the doors uh, as you leave this morning. But also we have some special envelopes for the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. They are in the windowsills. Uh, see some down both sides here. So be sure to get one of those uh, to give your Lottie Moon Christmas offering. That offering goes 100% to the mission field. It doesn't go to overhead costs here in the U.S. with our International Mission Board or anything. It goes directly to the mission field there. And so I want to encourage you to be praying about giving towards that. And then also continue to pray through your prayer guide throughout this month as well uh, as beyond, praying for all of those missionaries. And then let me just remind you uh, that tonight we will be having our Christmas cantata with our adult choir and children's choir. So we want to encourage everybody who can to be here. Uh, if you are at home or even in person, go to our Facebook page. It's pinned at the top. I want to encourage you to share that with someone today. Just share it out there on social media, however you want to do that, uh, so that it can help get the word out even more for that. But uh, if you are one of the adults, the adult choir will be here at 5. Uh, kids choir will be here at 530. Uh, and the cantata will start uh, at 6. And then also, as we said, we started off with Chosen Road uh, with them singing. We do have a few more posters here uh, on the right-hand side. Uh, that is also on our Facebook page that you can share. Uh, also, you, there's a couple of songs even on there that you can listen to on their YouTube page. I want to encourage you to be here Tuesday evening, 630, uh, for this wonderful Christmas concert. Uh, it's, a, it's a free concert. We will be taking a love offering. Uh, but other than that, it's free to you. And so just want to encourage you and invite friends uh, to come to that. We will need a couple of individuals, a couple of guys, uh, who can help us with helping to unload things from their uh, bus uh, on Tuesday about 4.30 to 5, 5.30, somewhere in that time frame. Uh, we'll let you know the specifics of that once we touch base with them tomorrow. Uh, but if you could do that, uh, please see me after the service, uh, either down here at the front or at this door. I'll be at this door to welcome people as they leave. So just if you can help us with that on Tuesday, stop me and let me know. Brother Mike. Join us now as we sing Joy to the World, 87, hymn 87. Thank you. 
run next to him. Uh, want you to join us. Uh, reminder too of the children's church up on the piano side during the hymn. But we're uh, we're going to sing hymn 98. This is not one that uh, we sing a lot, especially uh, during the year outside of the Christmas holidays. But I heard the bells on Christmas Day. So y'all stand and join us as we we sing this hymn. I heard the bells on Christmas Day. wonderful to see all the kids, isn't it? <laughs> and them trying to get out here uh, for uh, Children's Church. Uh, what a wonderful blessing uh, it is. Take your Bibles, if you will, and turn to Luke's Gospel. Luke chapter 2. And I've entitled my message this morning, I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. Uh, we've been looking at, over the last couple of weeks, uh, as we continue our study through the life of Jesus, we've gone back uh, to the birth of Jesus Christ, and we've been looking at it through the lens, if you will, of some Christmas carols. And today, we have another Christmas carol here I want you to see. I heard the bells on Christmas Day, because this song reminds us that God so often uses the ashes in our lives to bring us and to bring others back to him. So would you stand as we read God's word in honor of his word, Luke chapter 2. We're just going to begin with verse 1 down through verse 3. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was the governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word this morning. Thank you for uh, the songs that have been sung. Lord, I pray that you will stir our hearts still through your word. And Father, I pray that uh, you will use this message to encourage uh, those who are already saved, those believers who are here this morning or watching online. Lord, encourage them in their hearts to be faithful witnesses in these days uh, of, of Christmas when people so often are more receptive uh, to the gospel message. And we pray, God, that you would use us in whatever way that you would to share with others the good news of the birth of Jesus Christ. And Father, I pray this morning that uh, you will speak into the hearts especially of those who are without Christ, that they will hear the gospel message uh, in these verses. And I pray, God, that your will will be done, your name will be glorified and honored. Bless us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And you can be seated. When you think about that song, I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day, 
Henry Wadsworth Longfellow is the one who wrote the poem uh, for that song, uh, and the context that he was writing that out of was a national division uh, across our nation. It was during the Civil War, uh, as well as a personal loss in his own life. His wife, Fanny, had died when her dress had caught fire. He tried to put the fire out uh, by smothering the flame with his own body, but it was too late, and he lost his wife. Two years later, his 18-year-old son, Charlie, left home and signed up uh, for Lincoln's Union Army. And on December the 1st of 1863, uh, Henry Wadsworth Longfellow was having dinner uh, with his family, when he, the rest of his family, when he received a war telegram stating that his son, Charlie, had been severely wounded in battle. The surgeons had warned Henry that he, his son could face lifelong paralysis. And it was out of all of that that was going on with the turmoil in our nation, all that was going on in the loss and, and the devastation there in his family, that Henry Wordsworth Longfellow wrote this poem uh, seeking to capture the dynamic of all those things that were going on around him in his own heart and in the world around him. And he heard the bells on Christmas Day and the singing of peace on earth, but what he saw in that day was injustice. He saw violence uh, that seemed to mock the truthfulness uh, of this optimistic uh, outlook. Uh, the theme of listening uh, recurs throughout this poem and eventually leading to a settledness of, uh, of confident hope even in the midst of the bleak despair that he and the nation were facing. You can almost hear in the words of the song uh, Henry Wordsworth Longfellow wrestling with what he saw and with what he felt as he picked up his pen to craft a poem which would eventually become a Christmas hymn that so many have sang over the years. Let me read to you again those words that we sang earlier and you listen to what Henry Wordsworth Longfellow was saying and felt in his heart. He said, I heard the bells on Christmas Day, their old familiar carols play and mild and sweet their songs repeat a peace on earth, goodwill to men. And in despair, I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said. For hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. But then rang the bells more loud and deep God is not dead, nor does he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail, with peace on earth, goodwill to men. Then that last, those last verses there, then ringing, singing on its way, the world revolved from night to day, a voice, a chime, a chant sublime of peace on earth, goodwill to men but the bells are ringing peace on earth like the angels singing peace on earth does anybody hear them peace on earth peace on earth goodwill to men that's the context that henry wordsworth longfellow wrote that poem and it could very well be written even today that's the context that we come to this passage in. There was turmoil, there was chaos going on uh, in the days of Mary and Joseph when uh, Jesus was about to be born. But the world of chaos and trouble around us even today, and yet the optimistic hope of the gospel and the longing that we have one day of the return of Jesus Christ is still there for us. Christmas is a time of hope, and it's also a time of joy. The Christmas holidays are some of the most joyful times of the year. It's a time to celebrate uh, throughout the year. It's the time of year that brings joy as we celebrate the birth of a Savior. And, and then we're ushered into a new year. It's hard to believe 2022 is almost in the books, that it's almost gone. But let's face it, Christmas can be a stressful time for some adults. For most adults. For some, it's an intense time of loneliness or maybe a crushing grief because of a loved one who's gone. Even at its best, 
Christmas means parties to plan, gifts to buy, meals to cook, long trips to take, or out-of-town guests to host. And for some, instead of bringing joy, Christmas can bring frustration. Uh, we need to remember, though, in the midst of all of that, who is responsible for this whole Christmas thing. It's all about how God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. Unfortunately, many people, many people leave Christ out of Christmas. And instead of looking to Jesus, people are looking for joy anywhere and everywhere else. Pretty much everybody wants happiness. But the Bible says a lot about joy. The kind of joy the Bible talks about goes much deeper than just mere happiness. You see, happiness deals with what is happening, with the circumstances, and it depends on the circumstances. Genuine joy, though, on the other hand, doesn't depend on what's happening around us. Genuine joy is an inner sense of well-being that has nothing to do with the circumstance. The kind of joy that the Bible describes can only be found in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, our Savior. So I want you to see several things from what many of us see here as the Christmas story uh, that, that can apply to our lives and help us to understand this story even better. I want you to see joy in the census. Joy in the census. Because in the census here, we see a controlling providence here. So keep in mind as we just read verse 1 through verse 3 there, uh, understand Luke uh, wasn't just a doctor, but he was also a historian. As a matter of fact, he begins his gospel in this fashion. Turn back uh, to the beginning of Luke there in Luke chapter 1, verse 1 down through verse 4. And here's what he says there. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. So get the picture here. Luke lets his readers know right up front that he's done his homework. Uh, like a good doctor, he's researched the facts that, that lay behind the Christmas story, uh, which is a fascinating story in itself. The story begins in those verses we read in verse 1 down through verse 3 in chapter 2. This decree that went forth from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. And this was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. So get the setting here. The setting is in the Roman Empire. It's at its height, it stretched from its western boundary of the Atlantic Ocean to its eastern boundary of the Euphrates River. It reached as far north as the Danube and the Rhine and as far south as the Sahara Desert. Uh, there was one name that was prominent, that was paramount and preeminent over this empire, that was the Caesar. And at this time, it was the Caesar named Augustus. Caesar Augustus had decreed that all of the world should be registered. All of those who were under the Roman Empire should be registered. And now notice the purpose of this census or registration was so that people might be accurately and properly taxed. We don't like taxes, do we? But the bureaucracy and the military machinery of the Roman Empire was expanding at such a rapid rate, it was literally starving for revenue. Now on the surface, it may look like that the driving force behind this census was greed. But I want to tell you, it really wasn't. It was really God. Scholars tell us that the first census ever taken in the history of the Roman Empire was this census. But why now? And why were Jews, who weren't even Roman citizens, to be included in this sentence, in the census? Well, it's because God had a plan from eternity past that he was going to put in place. You see, Caesar Augustus was in control of the Roman Empire, but God was in control of Caesar Augustus. 
And so as you're going to see, Caesar Augustus, even though he didn't realize it, he was really just a pawn in the hand of God that he was moving across the chessboard of life. Always remember this in your life. No matter how bad things get, no matter how bleak things may seem, always remember that what you see happening every day may appear to be accidental, it may appear to be incidental, it may appear to be coincidental, but God sees it as fundamental. It's all a part of his plan. So think about this. Nothing has caught God by surprise. But think about this. Had Caesar Augustus made his decision to do this census three months earlier or three months later, Joseph and Mary wouldn't have been in Bethlehem when that baby was born. An entire nation of millions of people had their lives disrupted just so that Mary and Joseph could be in Bethlehem at the moment that little baby was going to be born. So the real reason why Jesus was born in Bethlehem is because of a census that Caesar Augustus ordered at a certain point in time by the providence of God. So there's joy even in the census. Notice this, there's also joy in the city. There's joy in the city because we see the completed prophecy. Notice verse 4 and verse 5. So it says, Joseph also went up from Galilee, <clears throat> from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. So understand what happened here. Here's Joseph, who leaves the province of Galilee, which is up in the northern area there of Israel, his residence of Nazareth, and goes to the province of Judea to this little town called Bethlehem. The reason why he had to go to Bethlehem is because the census required that a man had to go back uh, to what we would call today the, the, the family's county seat. It would be like here for us having to go over to Manchester uh, to register. That's where the county seat is. Uh, and so that's what he was having to do here. Joseph, for him, that was Bethlehem. So they had to travel a lot farther than we would today. Bethlehem was a town about five or six miles southwest of Jerusalem. And it was on the main route, on the main highway uh, to Hebron, from Hebron to Egypt. In Jacob's time, it was called Ephratah. It was the burial place of Rachel. It was renamed Bethlehem Judah after the overthrow of Canaan. It was the home of Boaz and Ruth, and it was there that their grandson, David, was born and tended sheep. That's the reason why it's called the city of David. Joseph, being of the house and the lineage of David, had to go to Bethlehem to register. Now, normally, only the male in the family had to go. Only the male would have to make this journey because he was the one that was required to register. There was even more of a reason for Mary not to make this journey, especially because she was pregnant with child. So as you look back at the kind of journey that she had to take, you know, thinking where she's at in her pregnancy, she's not very far from, from giving birth. No doctor in his right mind would have said, Mary, yeah, you can go on a journey uh, on a donkey all the way uh, to Bethlehem. Uh, from Nazareth to Bethlehem was a 90-mile journey. So it was a long journey that she's having to ride on this, on this donkey. Uh, because of her pregnancy, the most that they would have uh, probably uh, covered in a day would have been about 10 miles a day. So it's probably a 9 to 10 day trip. Making that 90 mile journey would be kind of like for us walking halfway through Tennessee from north to south. Like from here from Tullahoma to Clarksville. Or from here in Tullahoma down past Chattanooga from either direction, going through valleys, going through riv along rivers, going across mountains. Uh, it was a hilly uh, terrain there uh, in the area there in, in, in Israel. It was sometimes mountainous. Uh, it most likely would have been cold in the day, and also it was during the heavy rainy season. At night it would have been probably even below freezing. The desert areas would get below freezing uh, at night. And most likely, as we said before, Mary would have to make this trip on, on uh, the back of a donkey because the truly wealthy had camels to, to spare for riding. But they didn't have that. They weren't wealthy. Their diet, their food that they would have eaten on this journey would have been bread 
and water. Breakfast, they would have had dried bread. Lunch, they would have had bread with oil. Evening, they would have had bread with oil and herbs. It would have been bread, bread, bread. That's all they would have been able to have. And they finally arrived. They finally arrived there to Bethlehem, and they find about 10,000 other people from the house of David that are there for the census. That's why you read that when they get there, there's no room for them in the inn. So why did Mary make this trip? Because she knew something. We talked about that last week. Did, did you know, Mary? Because she knew something that the world didn't know. That, that she knew that there was nothing more important in all the world uh, than that this little couple making their way uh, to a little one-horse town called Bethlehem that they had to get there. Why was it so important? Because almost 800 years before, the prophet Micah had predicted in Micah chapter 5 and verse 2 that God's son, the Messiah, would be born in Bethlehem. Almost 800 years before Caesar made this decree, before Quirinius ever ordered the census, God said that this is where my son is going to be born. Now I'm sure that Caesar Augustus sat on his throne in charge of the Roman world, thinking that he's the one who's made uh, this decision that was altogether original and unique. But little did he know that he was simply running the errands of a minor prophet named Micah. Because Caesar Augustus had no idea that this teenage young girl named Mary was about to bear a son named Jesus. Her name was Mary, and she would bring forth Jesus who would be the Savior of the world. Of all the places throughout Israel, Bethlehem, the least of these, was chosen. I did some research and was looking online, and, and some websites were telling about how many towns and cities are in Tennessee. Did you know that there are 548 towns and cities alone in the state of Tennessee? It would be like taking the most out-of-the-way town in the most out-of-the-way place and, and saying, that's the place where my son's going to be born. You can just imagine some of those places that you've already seen here in Tennessee that are kind of those out-of-the-way places. That's where Bethlehem was. I mean, think about it. 800 years before, God had pinpointed the exact town where the Lord Jesus Christ was to be born. It wasn't Rome. It wasn't Jerusalem. It wasn't Washington or London or Paris. It was this little town of Bethlehem. Someone once observed that the Messiah had to have a birthplace. In the ancient world, only three continents were known to exist, Europe, Africa, and Asia. Yet Asia was chosen. You think about it, Asia had many countries within it, but the country that was chosen was a little two-bit country called Palestine. But in that country called Palestine, there were three districts. There was Judea, there was Galilee, and there was Samaria. But Judea was the one that was selected. Then in Judea, there were many villages and there were many towns. But out of all those cities and out of all those towns, the one God chose was Bethlehem. Why? Because almost 800 years ago, through the prophet Micah, he had prophesied that Bethlehem would be the town. And with God, prophecy isn't a guess about what might happen. It's a declaration of what will happen. We also see joy in the cradle. Because think about it. Here is the savior of the world. The king of kings. And he's not born in a palace. He's born in a stable. In the lowliest of places. And laid in a manger. In a cradle that animals would eat out of. And we see the confirmed promise there. In verse 6 and in verse 7. Notice verse 6 goes on to say, And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the end. Now, if you took those verses out of context, you would think that this would just be the simple recording of another baby who was born. But it wasn't just another baby. 
Because at that moment, one of the three, great, three greatest events in the history of the world took place, the incarnation of God in the human flesh. Because as we said, 750 years before this baby was born, 50 years after the prophecy that God had given to Micah, he made a promise to another prophet by the name of Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14, God said through Isaiah, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. You know what Emmanuel means? God with us. In Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, God had promised that the Savior would be a human and not an angel. In Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 through verse 3, God had promised that the Savior would be a Jew, not a Gentile. In Genesis chapter 49 and verse 10, God promised he would be from the tribe of Judah. In 2 Samuel and chapter 7 and verse 1 through verse 17, God promised that he would be born from the family of David. In Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14, God promised that the Savior would be born of a virgin. And as we've already read in Micah chapter 5 and verse 2, God promised the Savior would be born in Bethlehem, the city of David. In that manger, which was simply a feed trough for animals, God kept every promise. Incredibly, God's Son, the Lord Jesus, was born in a, in a stall there where animals were kept, laid in a feeding trough. Why? Because there was no room for them in the inn. You ever wondered about that statement? Of course, it's entirely possible that every room in that inn had been taken. But think about it for just a moment. There's at least one room in that inn that should have been available. And that's the room of the innkeeper. You see, there was room. He just didn't want to make room for Jesus. I heard about a man who went to, to a hotel to ask for a room, and the manager said, Sir, I'm sorry, we don't have any vacancies. There's no rooms left. And the man said, Well, sir, let me ask you a question. He said, If the President of the United States were to show up here, would you have a room for him? The manager said, Well, of course we would. The man said, Well, he's not coming. I'll take that one. The fact is, there may not be any room in the inn, but I guarantee you one day there will be room for him in the end. If you want God to make room in heaven for you, you'd better make room for Jesus in your heart. See, the one who 2,000 years ago was born in a manger can be at home in your heart. The greatest thing you could do today is to give your heart to Jesus. And if you've given your heart to Jesus already, the greatest gift that you could give at Christmas is to share the gospel with someone else. That's the greatest news of great joy. Even as we're going to see here in just a moment in Luke chapter 2 verse 10, the angel in this verse uh, knew that. He, the, the word for good news is, is the Greek word that gives us uh, the, our English word evangelism, euangelion is the Greek, which means to bring good news. The good news is Luke 2 verse 11, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. There's something unique in verse 11 that you don't want to miss. This is the first place in all of the Bible that you'll find the words Savior, Christ, and Lord together in one verse. Those words alone with the word baby in verse 12, reveal to us why Christmas truly is a time of joy. And this will be a sign to you. You will find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Notice the joy in the birth of a son. Go on down to verse 12, if you will. We'll come back to some of the other verses here in just a moment. But in verse 12, down through verse 20, the Bible tells us, and this will be a sign for you, you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. This is the message the angel gives to the shepherds. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. 
When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Now think about this. By and large, births don't get a lot of attention from the world. Births are a common everyday experience. Most people are more concerned about the stock market or their taxes or, or, or they're concerned about sickness or war or, or the economy than they are about babies being born. But maybe every year we ought to give more thought to just who is being born. For example, in the year 1809, the world was focused on a man by the name of Napoleon. You remember Napoleon? Napoleon looked like the first person since Alexander the Great who might just conquer the entire world. Very few people were thinking about babies that year, but maybe they should have. Because in 1809, William Gladstone was born, who was destined to become the greatest prime minister that England ever produced. In 1809, Alfred Lord Tennyson was born, who would one day affect the, the literary world in an unbelievable way. In 1809, Oliver Wendell Holmes was born, and not very far away, Edgar Allan Poe was also born, two of the greatest novelists in history. In 1809, Charles Darwin was born, a man who would grow to live in infamy. In 1809, in a rugged log cabin in Hardin County, Kentucky, Abraham Lincoln was born. The history of the two greatest nations in the world at that time, England and America, were being shaped in tiny cradles. 2,000 years ago, one baby was born who would shape the destiny of the entire world. And this will be a sign unto you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. What's wrong with this picture? Remember, this wasn't the birth of an, of an ordinary son. But this was the birth of the Son of God. Yet notice what the shepherds were told to look for. They weren't told to look for a king on a throne, nor, nor some angel on a cloud, but to look for a baby in a feeding trough in a manger. They weren't to go to the palace, nor to a mansion, but to a stable. Would he be surrounded by servants? No, he would be surrounded by sheep. Would he be laying on a beautiful bed? No, he would be laying in an animal's feed trough. Would he be living in the palace of a king? No, his home for that moment would be the stable of a cow. Would he be wrapped in some velvet comforter? No, he would be wrapped in swaddling cloths, common, ordinary rags. More amazingly, he was a real baby. This wasn't just for show. Jesus wasn't faking it. He watched his hand in amazement just like any other baby. Like other babies, he didn't understand words. He needed to be changed. He needed to be fed. He needed to be washed. He needed to be cared for. Just like any other baby. Think about this. Let this sink into your heart. God in the flesh had to learn how to talk, how to walk, how to feed himself. Where ordinary passers-by would have just seen another baby, what Mary, his mother, saw was the face of God. There's a reason why Jesus came in human flesh, why he came as the heavenly son of an earthly mother. He came to be one of us so that we might not only uh, could be raised up to his level, but so that he could come down to ours. Because when Jesus came in his humanity, he was just like us in every way except that he had no sin. God has come as one of us and he came to be like us so he may change us to be like him. And we need to tell the good news to the world around us. Have you heard the bells on Christmas Day? Their old familiar carols play and mild and sweet their songs repeat of peace on earth, goodwill to men. There's the joy of the birth of a son, but there's joy in the blessing of a savior. Go back to verse eight down through verse 11, when the angel's speaking here to the shepherds. 
Verse 8 begins and says, In this same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone round them, and they were filled with great fear. Now, there's a lot of people today who are filled with fear in their hearts. But notice the words of the angel that said to them in verse 10, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people, not just the Jews, not just the, the Gentiles, for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Why was this good news? Well, the angel tells us there in verse 11. In the Old Testament, the word Savior describes a deliverer from one's enemies. Interestingly, in the Old Testament, the Messiah is never called Savior. That word always uh, refers always to God who delivers his people from defeat, from disease, from death. In fact, the word of God makes it plain that the title Savior only belongs to God and to God alone. God himself said this in Isaiah 43, verse 11. I, I am the Lord, and besides me, there is no Savior. He said in, in Isaiah 49, verse 26, All flesh shall know that I am the Lord, your Savior, and your Redeemer. So understand this. You'll never understand the meaning of Christmas, nor the real joy of Christmas, until you get in your heart that Christmas is the coming of a Savior. The title Savior, the noun salvation, and the verb save are found in every book in the New Testament. The origin of those words is the Greek word sozo, uh, which in the Latin is uh, salvare, which means safe or secure. It means to deliver people uh, from the penalty and the power of sin. The Apostle John wrote this in 1 John Chapter 4 and verse 14. He said, And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Jesus Christ came into our world to be our Savior. In fact, before he was even born, the angel of the Lord said to Mary in Matthew 1, verse 21, she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Why? Because he will save his people from their sins. You see, Jesus is the Greek form of the Hebrew word Yeshua. Uh, Yeshua is the same word as Joshua, uh, which means Savior. If you think about it, you'll realize that Savior not only tells us who he is, but it also tells us what we are. Because the only people who need a Savior are sinners. But there's one other thing that has to be added. A Savior has to be both human and divine. First of all, he has to be human so that he can die for us and therefore be a savior. But he also must be divine so that he doesn't die in his own sin or else he can't be the savior. That's exactly who Jesus was. He was both man and God. Man that he could die for our sins, but God that he would not die in his sin. We were born to live. Jesus was born to die. Jesus' blood was guaranteed to remove from us the cancer of our sin. That's why there's joy in the blessing of a Savior. There's joy in the census. There's joy in the cradle. There's joy in the city. There's joy in the birth of a son. There's joy in the blessing of a Savior. And finally, there is joy in the beauty of a sovereign. This little baby lying in a manger wasn't just the Savior. But notice also he was the Lord. That title Lord is used over 9,000 times in the Old Testament. It's used over 6,000 times uh, for the covenant name of God, Jehovah. That's the best news of all. Because this little baby Jesus, who's wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger, born in a stable, wasn't just Christ, the Messiah of the Jews, nor was he just Jesus, the Savior of the, of the, of the universe, but he is the Lord of the universe. There are some practical lessons that we can learn here. Jesus is a son, so we can relate to him because he's just like us. He's a Savior so we can respond to him even though we're sinners because he'll accept us just the way we are 
Wash us with the precious blood of Jesus. Forgive us of our sins and cast them as far as the east is from the west if we will but repent of our sin. He's a savior who saves us. He's also a sovereign. And that's how we have to receive him because he wants to be the Lord of your life. You see, the greatest joy in the world is found in Jesus alone because Jesus is for everyone. Know this, the good news isn't a relic of the past. It's not for a certain nation or a creed or a social status. We are to proclaim the message of the angel to a lost and a dying world. Behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David who is a Savior who is the Christ the Lord. And then the angel sang glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward man. So understand this. There can be no peace without the Prince of Peace. Our world today is messed up. There is chaos and turmoil and heartache and sorrow and injustice and despair. But listen, listen, can you hear it? Can you hear the church bells ringing? Can you hear the choir singing? Can you hear the angels singing? Open up your hearts and hear them. Peace on earth. Peace on earth. Peace on earth. Goodwill to all men. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you that you gave us the greatest gift that we could ever receive at Christmas or any other time. That of a little baby being born in a manger who would come to be the savior of the world, who would be the Lord of the universe there in a humble stall. Father, I pray that we would not miss and not forget or neglect the importance of what we have seen in this passage this morning, that this is what Christmas is all about. Without the birth of Christ in that lowly manger in Bethlehem, there is no Christmas. Father, help us to realize that truth this morning, that especially if we're here this morning, maybe we've been skeptical, maybe we've truly not yet, yet trusted in Jesus as our Lord and our Savior. I pray this morning we have heard that you loved us even in our sin, that you sent a Savior to die for us where we should have been punished on that cross. Not only did he be punished on that cross in our place, he was buried in that tomb and arose on the third day to give us eternal life. And so, Father, I pray this morning that there would be those who would call out to you and say, Dear God, I know that I'm a sinner and I need to be saved. I thank you for sending Jesus who was born in that lowly manger, lived a perfect sinless life, died on that cross, was buried in the tomb in my place and arose on the third day so that I could trust in Jesus this morning as my Lord and my Savior. Father, I come and I repent of my sin and I turn away from it and I turn to follow you and I ask you to send your Holy Spirit into my heart and life to change me from the inside out to help me to live for you all the days of my life. Father, I pray that those who maybe have prayed something like that in their hearts in all sincerity, Lord, would come this morning to publicly profess that faith in Christ. Lord, there may be others that you're working in their hearts to come and to join this fellowship. There may be others, Lord, who just simply need to come and to pray for others who they know who are without hope because they don't know Jesus. Father, I pray for us who are believers this morning. Lord, I pray that our hearts have been stirred once again of the real, true meaning of what Christmas is all about. And may we use every opportunity that we have in this day that we live in. Uh, Lord, we don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. We can't undo what happened in the past. But Lord, we can come this morning and commit ourselves to you afresh and anew that I'm going to use this day, whatever time I have left, to be a witness for you and a blessing to others. Lord, bless your word this morning. 
May it go forth and not return void. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. As, as we stand, as we sing our hymn of invitation, number 320, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. Would you come this morning as the Lord lays on your heart? As you stand. morning. Great day to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. Amen. All right. Uh, just a few quick announcements. Uh, just continue to pray for everybody on the prayer list. Uh, remember, you're invited back tonight for the Christmas program at 6. Uh, there will be no Wednesday activities this week at all. And then there will be the drop-in Christmas Eve communion service uh, Saturday night from 5 to 7. Uh, there is a men's Bible study that Rick Miller is starting up for January 15th. The sign-up is outside on Pastor Jim's bulletin board, so if you're interested in that, sign up. Um, Christmas cards out back, pick those up. Uh, they've got them separated out into names or, or divisions, so see if you've got any and pick those up. And then the stewardship committee is meeting right after service in the conference room. It'll be a quick meeting. Anything else? Don't see anything? All right. If you will, go to the Lord in prayer with me. Dear Lord, I just thank you for this day, Lord. I thank you for bringing each and every family out this morning to, to worship you. Just go with us now throughout this next week as everybody will be traveling and doing different things. Just let us remember what the real reason for this season is, Lord, that, that you shared your son with us to die on the cross for our sins. Just go with us now and just forgive me I failed you. Amen. Amen. 